friends. Good morning. Let's, hello, let's stand up. Uh, my name's Brett. I'm Hi, Brett. the associate pastor here. Um, that's a win. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's center ourselves and hear the scripture read this morning. This is a reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. There was a certain man from Ramanath, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, um, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panina, and to, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stay standing, if you would, as we pray. Lord, looking at this passage and listening to it, reading it, Lord, we are encouraged that our words have power. Lord, that we pray we might be those who bring blessing and peace to those around us. And Lord, to those of us in here that are in Hannah-like situations, those of us that sat down just a little earlier, maybe we didn't sit down for whatever reason, but we know that we are in the season of waiting and a season somewhat like Hannah's. Lord, I pray 
that you would bless, that you would bring comfort, and you would do it quickly, Lord, in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated now. This is going to be a wonderful sermon series. We're beginning a new sermon series. See a couple new faces. You haven't missed anything. We're beginning a new series today on the book of First Samuel. We're going to be looking into this story. Point number one is this, God's story among his people. God's story among his people. And this book of the Bible, First Samuel, it's, uh, we're going to be calling this series Kingdom and Chaos, looking at God's kingdom amongst the chaos of this world and our own lives. This reading, if you've ever read 1 Samuel, this is some of the best reading in all of Scripture. This is dramatic. This is like soap opera. This is stories and narratives and character development. It's wonderful. I remember the very first time I ever read this passage. I, I, was, I, I can tell you exactly where I was uh, when I read 1 Samuel for the first time and was just enthralled with the story. It was in college. I was visiting a friend of mine. His name's Bo Bannister. I met him in high school. He uh, knew a lot about the Lord. I learned a lot from him. He's now a pastor. I might get to see him this week in Denver. We'll see uh, because he's in town. But anyways, I was visiting him in Florida and uh, the, the church that they were at was on the campus of Florida State University, Go, Sem- Go, Go Seminoles, right? Um, anybody? No, I can never forget the whole thing. Um, so the university had acquired some new land. It was like given to them, and they were going to d- dedicate it as a park. And this Christian group of passionate college students was like, let's pray over this new land. And somebody's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And somebody said, let's read the whole Bible over this new park. And, so, and it's like, we're in college. So it's like, yeah, let's read the whole Bible. Not really knowing like what we're getting into. And, and so then we began to like see what we were like, oh, this is going to take a little while to read the whole Bible at this park. So then we had this like sign up sheet of hours to pick and you would, you would go. And I picked like, cause I was passionate too. I was like, yes, Lord, like use me, Lord. And so I I picked the time between like 1 and 4 a.m. to like go to this park and read script. I was like, yes, Lord, this is going to be awesome. And I was just thinking in my head as the day got closer, it's like, oh, wait, like this is, I'm just going to read somebody begot somebody who begot somebody. And in my mind, I was just prepared for like, I'm going to spend all night just in, and what if the next person who's supposed to read doesn't show up? I'm going to read all day and all night. And this, I was like, oh gosh, I was just dreading this. And so anyways, I get there at 1 a.m. and I find the person, they're walking around with a Bible and a flashlight. And I was like, all right, my turn. He's like, why, why are you late? He's like, I'm here now. Um, and so I get the Bible, get my flashlight. I start walking around this park, reading scripture and it gets right to 1 Samuel, and I was just like, oh, okay, this is a good story. This is interesting, and the time flew by, and looking back at that moment, I think of myself like like someone hiking through the woods, following a stream, looking for the source of the stream, is this analogy that I have, thinking about the book of 1 Samuel, and I pray that that is true for us this morning as we begin this series, that it will be like an adventure following Following a stream of God's work, looking for the source, which is ultimately God. 
This story is smack dab in between somewhere between Abraham and Jesus. This story follows about 1000 BC. This story follows, uh, if you're looking at it from a historical perspective, it's like a loose confederation of tribes and then they get formed into one tribe, the tribe of God, and they get a king. This story follows three great men. Do you know who they are? The first one is the prophet. His name starts with an S. He's actually probably considered the last judge. And then he's the prophet who anoints the king. It's the name of the book. His name is Samuel. (laughs) The second one also starts with an S. It's the first king of the Bible. Don't say it yet. He does what is righteous. He stands a head taller than everybody else, and he's a great leader. He does what is good, and then he starts doing what is evil, and the kingdom, uh, he doesn't, isn't the king anymore. His name is Saul. And then finally, the third guy in 1 Samuel who really takes the stage. He's known as the great king. All other kings of Israel, all of the kings of the earth would probably look at this guy and say, he's probably the best king ever. Of course, uh, he fights Goliath and wins. We're talking about... We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about David. The answer is David. Oh, you guys. When God wants to do something really great in this world, he often gets hold of a man and something great happens. But when God wants to do something extraordinarily great, the story usually begins with a woman. And this story, the story of these great three men begins with the woman. Think about the story of Moses. The story doesn't begin with Moses. It begins with his mom, Jehokabed, which my boys uh, are sure is a boy's name. Um, but that's Moses' mom's name who places Moses in the raft and floats him by the princess of Egypt. And we know the rest of this great story. David's story actually begins one book uh, before book of 1 Samuel in the book of Ruth, David's great-grandmother. Think about the story of Jesus. God coming to this earth. The story begins with a woman, this virgin, Mary, who gives birth to Jesus. This story, the story tracing through these three great men and God's work begins with a woman. So let's look at it. What I see in this story uh, is point number two this morning, if you're looking for sermon points. Point number two is our words hold power. Look at verse three of 1 Samuel chapter one. Year after year, this man, talking about Elkanah, or Elkanah, tomato, tomato. Year after year, this man went from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Here's a faithful man, a very faithful man that every year, you know, think about in our terms, like used his vacation time, got things together, had to go on a huge trip to another place. He goes to Shiloh. He brings his whole family. And what does he do there? He uses his time to worship the Lord Almighty. He doesn't go to the temple in Jerusalem because, do you know why? It is not yet built. Yeah, this, this story is going to trace uh, Saul, uh, then David, then David's son Solomon, who builds the temple. And so the, the temple in Jerusalem has not been yet built. And so we're here, we're talking about the tabernacle in Shiloh. It's, it's above uh, and beyond the tent of meeting from ancient Egypt. But here he goes, and it says this in verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina or Penina tomato, tomato, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. It's very possible that, uh, very likely that Hannah is Elkanah's first wife. And in this ancient world, 
when a woman was barren, that was cause for divorce. Like the, the, they, uh, that women were not seen as equal. Unfortunately, in this ancient world, if a woman was barren, well, that's just uh, grounds for divorce. Elkanah does not divorce Hannah, but the solution in the ancient world was, uh, unfortunately, to get another wife. And so, and this situation doesn't really work out, as we will see. There's fighting, and it's it's a pretty horrible situation. But he gets another wife, Panina or Panina, uh, and he she has lots of children, and Hannah has none because the Lord had closed her womb. And look at this in verse six: her rival, Panina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Think about the power of words. Like this, this nasty woman, Panina, uh, I'm sure she was a great person, but here in this story, she's not. She is not a nice person. She cuts down. Think about Hannah and where she, she, she can't have children. That's all she wants. And this other woman just provokes her. It says later that until she cries and until she won't even eat, it's horrible. You've probably heard the, the child phrase, uh, sticks and stones, may break my bones, but words may never break me. Have you heard that? That's a complete lie. Liar, liar, pants on fire is what I say to that saying, because words do hurt. This is, this is, words have power, whether they are positive words or, and blessing words, or whether they are in this situation, negative words. I think about like our world, and this is just the state of things nowadays, then in the ancient world. I think about all the horrible things. Just, just this morning, as, uh, as I do sometimes, check the news. I was looking at an article. You go down the article, and then there's all these comments. And the the, this, the nasty comment, like people attacking each other in the comments, people attacking the person who wrote it, people just attacking to attack. This is Hannah's situation. Can you imagine it? Verse 7 says, this went on year after year. Can you imagine? And I think some of you would say, yeah, I can imagine something like that. Maybe some of you sat down, or maybe some of you were thinking, maybe I should have sat down to be prayed for. You're in some sort of situation like Hannah, where things are not going right. You have lots of problems and issues, and people see that, and you think, or people really are attacking you and and using their words against you. It says this even, to, to continue how bad the situation is, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, that's in Shiloh, this tabernacle, uh, her rival, so it's like they're going to church. Like, it should be like, oh, put, put, you know, Penina, put your nasty little words away for just 10 minutes while you go to church. And instead, she would use this opportunity. Her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat, even in the house of the Lord. This horrible thing is going down. Hannah's reminded that she cannot have children and her rival, this other wife, can you imagine how horrible that would be, is provoking her even at church. And then her husband, uh, and I, I see the words the husband says here. He say, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but he seems kind of like a Homer Simpson character, uh, a very faithful man, a very loving man, but really has no idea what to say to his wife. He has no idea what's going on. Uh, I've, I've heard a saying, I think I saw it in a card, said, if a husband is in the woods alone speaking and no woman is present, is he still wrong? <laughs> Elkanah seems to fall into that situation. He says this, uh, verse 8, her husband Elkanah would say to her, he has no idea, this dude is clueless. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Like, has he not been around? Like, hello? Like, she's a woman. She wants to bear children. And, and there's this other nasty wife of his that is, that is 
saying horrible things. Like, that's why, obviously. And then he says something really silly, I think. Uh, Maybe I'm seeing this wrong. I don't know the Hebrew here. But he says, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? No, no, you don't. You don't get it. You don't have any clue. He's well-meaning. He's a very faithful man. All we really know about him is that every year he took the trip, he prayed. He, he was a faithful man, but maybe kind of bumbling. Like He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. He should have just been quiet. And I think sometimes those of us um, who, who see people in Hannah-like situations, we want to quickly, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? Let me, let me figure this out. Let me, let me answer. Let me just talk. And, and, and you listen, and I'll figure this out for you as I'm talking out loud. And this this week, I've been thinking a lot about uh, prayer. and We're on this 21 days of prayer. Uh, we issued that challenge last week and talked about prayer. Some of you, I've been talking with some of you, have been doing that and going through the books. We have more books back there. Uh, we're seven days in. It's by no means, uh, you know, you, you could jump right in right now. You could jump in on day one. If you're just now hearing about this, it's a wonderful thing that our church is going through. I've been doing that. And alongside of that, in the mornings, I've been reading a devotional on the ancient Christian desert fathers and one this this thing about solitude and prayer and um of silence uh came came about in my mind. It says this uh it's an analogy. When the door of a steam bath is continually left open, the heat inside rapidly escapes through it, likewise the soul. I think of Elkanah here just kind of just talking and leaving the door open to the steam house and yet if we can close, if we have these times with God, all of us in prayer, in solitude, silence, listening to the Lord, it's like we're shutting the door, we're spending time with the Lord, and the steam house gets hot so that then when someone needs an encouraging word, they come into this room and it's hot and it's full of the presence of the Lord. I think Elkanah, uh, he's well-meaning, but he maybe should have just been with his wife and, and, and comforted her. All she wants in the whole world is to be a mom. And she loves, like her child, before she even has a child. I think the love of a mother is, is beautiful. It's mysterious. There's nothing better. You've probably heard the phrase, uh, if someone has a face that only a mother could love. It's a slam. It's a diss to the person, but it does say something, right? Like we all know the saying, like it does say something about the love of a mother. Our moms, you know, there's enough people in here that maybe some of you um, didn't have a mom. You had a mother figure maybe. Um, For those of you that have moms, your life usually goes something like this. When you're very young, you're four, you're five years old, mom is the best. There's nobody like mom. She knows everything. And then you get to be 10 years old. You're like, well, maybe, maybe mom doesn't know everything. You get to 16 and you're like, well, now I'm convinced mom knows nothing. And then you get to 25 and you're like, well, maybe mom knew some things. Yeah, maybe. 35, you're like, wow, mom was right. <laughs> About what? About everything. You get to 45 and, and you're thinking, mom really was right. She was always right. And 55, you maybe have these feelings. Man, I wish things were like they were when we both had our full lives ahead of each other. And then I think at 65, you're like, man, if I could only have one more conversation with my mom. And Hannah wants to be a mom. She really wants to be a mom, and she can't. She has big problems. And I think we can look at the text of Scripture. We can see... um, 
we can think, I think wrongly think that, oh, all the, all the people in the Bible, all these holy, faithful people had no problems. All these holy, faithful people, um, they had no sin. And that's just like, we'll get into the story. Read it a little bit. Here's a holy woman, a woman of prayer, and she has huge problems. She, has, she, she wants to have a child. She cannot and she has this rival who's just horribly taunting her huge problems in her life. And if you have huge problems in your life, whether that's barrenness, uh, whether that's whatever, you join a long list of biblical characters who were either barren or had huge problems, who had sin and who are suffering and being taunted. This is the community of God, just a place of people, often broken, often lifting each other up. But prayer gives comfort. This is the third point this morning. Prayer gives comfort. Uh, we're kind of ending today. We, we read the scripture already. We're preaching on it, but it's kind of a cliffhanger. Like you might say, well, well, what happens? Does, does Hannah have a child? Does she not? Many of you know the rest of the story, but we're not going to get into that ending today. We're, we're, we're in the waiting as the song we sang. Like that's many of us. That's a long part of many of our lives in the waiting. Here is Hannah in the waiting, and yet she receives comfort. Yet she receives this lifting up of herself. She's waiting, she's praying, and yet there's a blessing that comes. There is power in prayer, and prayer gives comfort. Thinking about this, this prayer, uh, 21 days of prayer that we're in, and just thinking about, oh, our lives. Like, if you're missing out on a prayer life, you say, yeah, I don't really have a prayer life. Well, take some time. There's a very easy, there's the little uh, books in the back. You could even download it online. It's a very simple prayer um, guide that you can do for 21 days. It's, it's all of us kind of doing it together. If you want to jump in, tomorrow's day seven. Uh, and and it's, prayer has power. It gives comfort. Listen to this in verse nine, continuing the story. It said, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house in her deep anguish. Like, listen to this woman and how she prayed. It must have been unusual because even Eli doesn't recognize what's going on. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me. Of course, the Lord is right there all along. He listens. He's there. And do not forget your servant, but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord all of the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. She's, she's making a vow. Lord, if you just give me a child, that's all I want. I'll give him back to you. She invokes this Nazarite vow, which is in, uh, in the Old Testament. I think it's Leviticus where it talks about uh, dedicating someone or something to the Lord and no razor being used as a sign that they are dedicated to the Lord. And then Eli the priest, he sees her. And he doesn't really say what is nice. Priests, leaders of the church, um, myself, we should take warning about this, misreading the situation and saying something pretty mean. Um, verse 12 says this, As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought, he thought, thought wrongly. Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. It's a very mean thing to say, right? I mean, if you, there's many of you in here that have been hurt by something church leaders, other members of the church have said, and this would be one of those stories. If you come to church, 
You're bent out of shape. You, you want a child. It, it, it turns out you cannot have a child. You have someone poking at you and prodding, and you're there in church crying, and the leader of the church comes over. You can imagine Hannah in this situation. She would have a story. She could leave and say, guess what? I was praying at this church in Shiloh, and guess who came up to me? The leader of the church. Guess what he said to me? Guess what he said? He pointed at me. He looked at me, and guess what he said? It's evil. He misread the whole thing. He looked at me, and he said he thought I was drunk. Can you imagine? I mean, she could leave. She could say, yeah, the church is horrible. The, the whole thing, Eli and, and the leaders and the whole church, the whole organization, the whole thing is corrupted. She has every reason to just leave and, and be resentful for the rest of her life. But instead, she's a very humble woman. She's a woman of prayer. She's a woman of humility. Verse 15, she says, Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She gives a very humble response to a senseless error and some pretty mean words said by a church leader. And then Eli gets it right. Then he does pronounce a blessing. This is the last point. Point number four is this, the power of a blessing. We've already talked about the power of words, the power of prayer. And to use those words, to use those prayers as a blessing is a very, very powerful thing. Here's what Eli says. He kind of, he gets it right then. Verse 17, Eli answered, go in peace. It's a very simple blessing. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him for. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him, is what he says. He gets the situation right. He pronounces a blessing and says, maybe for the first time in a very long time, something positive to Hannah, and she soaks in these words. Maybe you have someone in your life. I could think of a bunch of people in my life who are just always saying nice things, who are lifting me up, who never say anything negative. Just ignore that. You know, if mom said, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I have people like that in my life that don't say anything negative, but only say blessings, only use their words and the power of blessing to lift me up and people around them. And maybe you need to be that in someone's life because words and blessings have power. And then she says this. She, she is uplifted. She said, my, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She has this great joy now inside of her. And is she pregnant? No. Is, is the answer there? Is this the, is this the happy ending? Is this the fairy tale conclusion of the story? No, but she is lifted up. She's lifted up because someone gave her a blessing and because she had spent time in prayer. It reminds me of Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Like There's no reason right, at this point for her to be you know, lifted up. She's not. She's asking to be pregnant. She's, she's asking for this curse of barrenness to be taken. It's, it's not yet. She doesn't know. Uh, but she is lifted up and she has peace which uh, surpasses all understanding. So here in this story, she's, we find her in the waiting, as the song we sang earlier. She comes in with uh, deep sorrow. She leaves with joy. Because the time she spent with the Lord 
because a simple word of blessing by this man who first misunderstood the situation and then realizes, oh, this woman is crying out to the Lord. Let me just say it. He's just a quick blessing, just a few words, and then she leaves totally uplifted, waiting in real prayer, real trust in God, real knowing God as the one who is sovereign. Listen to these words. It's just simple. It's just what Eli says. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Would you stand with me? We consider these words. For those of you that sat earlier and received prayer, um, go in peace and may the Lord grant you what you have asked him for. I think about all of us in here, whether you sat this morning during that time of prayer, whether you stayed standing and you thought you should have sat, whether um, you just just wondering, like, what is it that the Lord, um, what is it that you're asking for the Lord for, whether it's health or a situation or pain or loss, or um, I want you to be bold this morning as your head is bowed and just consider, you know, what are you asking for the Lord for? What are you waiting for? And those of you, maybe, maybe you would say you know, there's a certain situation, maybe there's some of you in here that are like, you know, I'm, I'm praying for someone else right now. I'm waiting for someone. I'm, there's someone in my life who is like a Hannah. Well, then I pray that the Lord would give you these kinds of words to bless, that you might say to someone, or you might receive these words, go in peace and may the Lord, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked of him. Listen to it again. Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him.